Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now we are a proud member of the 143 podcast network this is Brian Wayne, the official voice of NSCLiveTV.com, once again from Studio Cerebro, here to tell you all about more great auction action. This particular auction action coming from Hooked on Comics Super Sales. Join John, Mary, and the rest of the gang Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and Saturdays 7 p.m. Eastern Time on NSCLiveTV.com channel 1. They have moved from 12 to 1 from my understanding. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, come on in. High-grade goodies, a whole lot of laughs, and... Uh, yeah, um, there's an enormous wall of slabs, and then there's the bin room, and of course, an auction. Uh, <laughs> one thing that you will notice is that John's hat, the, the, the feller that be, well, partially running the show, the face of the show, his hat changes constantly. You never see the same hat twice. So once again, that is uh, Hooked on Comic Super Sales, Tuesdays at 6 Eastern, Saturdays at 7 Eastern, NSCLiveTV.com, Channel 1. Once again, that's NSCLiveTV.com, your home for the best in auction action. This is Brian Wayne, the official voice of NSCLiveTV.com, coming from the Cheers to Comics Studios, aka Studio Cerebro, to tell you all about Sergeant and the Commander auctions. Uh, join Raul and Donna Fridays, 4.30 Pacific Time, for a great night of comics, games, prizes, and so much more. Raul is a United States Air Force veteran, and when I, I'm not gonna lie, when I see USAF written out, I automatically think American as fuck. <laughs> and he's been in love with comics since he was six years old. This comic book powerhouse duo has been together for more than 20 years and enjoy the love of all superheroes we grew up with. Be sure to check out the $3 Donna poll. That winner gets a free slabbed comic. $3 Donna poll. Free slab comic. So remember, join them Fridays at 4.30 Pacific Time on NSCLiveTV.com channel 15. Once again, that's NSCLiveTV.com channel 15 for Sergeant and the Commander Auctions. NSCLiveTV.com, your home for the best in auction action. Well, hello.
Hello again, Slurds. Welcome back to the Church to Comics podcast. I am your host, Brian Wayne, and this is episode 68. This week, I'll be raising my glass to the books that were released on the 19th of February, 2020, as well as talking about other things relative to the world of comic books. So, full disclosure, this is mostly spoilery. I leave timestamps in the description if there's something you're not ready to have spoiled for you. Uh, this is more of an overview podcast, not really a review podcast. So, yeah, you're not going to be hearing me just talk shit about comics for an hour. Um, beyond all that, uh, yeah, I sometimes I curse. So, spoiler about that. If you got sensitive ears, probably not going to like me much. But uh, <laughs> I get a little pumped. So... Oh man, um, this it's been a week in comics. It's been a big fucking week in comics. Uh, I want to talk a little bit of news. There's some things to talk about. Um, IDW and uh, DC Black Label are teaming up for a Sandman and Lock and Key crossover. So that's fucking cool. There's no details out that I'm aware of beyond all that. But yeah, that's that's dope. So uh, with and this makes sense. Now that I think about it, I haven't really had the time to digest this, because I just kind of skimmed through and found this. Uh, obviously, Netflix has a lock and key thing, and I, I'm, I've am i been made to be aware that Neil Gaiman is going to be a part of Sandman doing a Netflix series as well. I know Sandman is going to have a series. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going to be Netflix. I don't think it's Amazon. Um, so uh, this this makes total fucking sense. It really does. Uh, I'm I'm very intrigued. Nothing. Uh, come on now, uh, uh, Joe Hill. <laughs> Get up, getting to play in the Sandman's sandbox. Uh, yeah, all about it. All about it. Um, okay, we're getting a new ongoing Spider-Man. There's not enough ongoing Spider-Man books going on this year, which is ironic compared to what I was saying last year. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was not the case last year. There was tons of Spider-Man books this year, or last year. Not so much this year. Um, but we're getting a non-stop Spider-Man, is what this title's called, coming in June, and this is the, uh, uniting, the reuniting of Joe Kelly and Chris Pichalo. Uh, yeah, he's, he's currently doing Deadpool. You know him. Joe Kelly, come on now. So, yeah, these guys are teaming up again, coming in June, and this is supposed to be just an action-packed fucking Spider-Man story. It's gonna be, uh, it sounds awesome. Uh, based off just a couple of bits that I got out of the article. I think it was Newsarama. So, uh, yeah, I'm all about that. <sighs> um, <laughs> fucking Tom King. Yeah. Uh, so we all know that eventually we're going to get the bat and the cat, the, the, the end, the true end to the Batman-Catwoman love story that Tom King has been writing for, or wrote for 85 issues. Now it's been announced that there's going to be a baby born now hmm how do i feel about that honestly i don't really feel about it um my my well i guess i kind of do uh the the uh i guess the sympathetic part of me immediately went to how does damien feel about that <laughs> that's exactly why i went i hope this is a damien heavy story now that i think you know and then that could be very redeeming for it not that there's anything wrong with this time uh, not that uh, I can't say there's anything to be redeemed. Let's, I, I guess I, I should back up. Uh, in my eyes, it wasn't really the Batman book that 
Uh, I was expecting. That doesn't mean it's bad by any means. I know that there are some haters out there, but uh, in, in its own way, this this is a very brilliant story. It's it's extremely poetic, and um, it's it's not like it doesn't do justice to the the character. It's just extremely different. Uh, so you know, one may be taken back. You know, not my Batman. Well, uh, I, I don't know. So uh, sometimes I'm a little reluctant when I bring up this story. Uh, but by no means do I really have anything bad to say about it. Uh, <laughs> um, but with that being said, there's going to be a baby born, and um, I'll be taking a poll in the uh, in the Cheers to Comics Facebook group as to what we should name this new baby. So I'll have that post up real soon. So <laughs> join the Cheers to Comics Facebook group. Get a part of that discussion. So, uh, last in the news is obviously the biggest piece of news. Dan Didio. Dan Didio, however you say it, he gone. <sighs> um, I know that there's some people rejoicing and there's some people sobbing and, you know, I, I, I get it. I get it. I don't really get the rejoicing part. I, I don't see what he did wrong. Sure, nobody's perfect. 18 fucking years, man. 18 years. Cue the Kanye music. Um, <laughs> sorry, uh, I'm not gonna cut that out either. Uh, <laughs> so, but yeah, no, he uh, he's gone, and that's I'm I'm not happy to hear that. I am one of the people that's not happy to hear that. Uh, but I am at this point very intrigued as to well, first off, why that hasn't really been explained yet, and uh. Uh, the, I guess the next question after that, de really depending on whatever the why is, would be who, who's next, who who replaces them. That's a that's definitely a massive question to be to be answered. And uh, yeah, um, I just so happen to know that at uh, Comics Pro there was a DC panel that was supposed to take place and. One Dan DiDio was scheduled to be there, along with a few other DC bigwigs. Um, I can't confirm, but I would imagine the likes of, you know, Jim Lee and those types of folks. And, uh, well, they they apparently were there, but only for a little bit, and that's, I mean, not even close to the time up, you know, to where it was for them to do the panel. So I guess there were some fill-ins from my understanding. Um, and really, nothing really came out of the DC end of that panel. It was just kind of a, uh, you guys are here, so fucking you, you two over there with DC shirts and hats, stand here. Uh, just answer questions that you know nothing about. That's kind of how I take this. I can't, you know, obviously I wasn't there. I can't say for sure. This is just from another person's perspective. Um, whom that is, I will not say my source. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, that's the news. I'm, I'm, I'm sad. I'm sure he'll find another job. You know, he did it for 18 years. And, uh, yeah, um, we'll see. Maybe, maybe, uh, the dude from IDW and then Dan Didio can switch over. And, uh, cause ID, I, the, the reason I say IDW specifically is just because that dude knows how to fucking acquire a property. And, uh, you know, it would make sense for a massive company like Disney to have somebody like a guy that's really good at acquiring properties to take over. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here off the top of my head. It's just me talking to a fucking microphone. <laughs> so that's the news. Um, it is, there was some news to talk about, that's for sure. I'm sure there was more, but those are the four pieces that I found very, very suitable. 
It's time for some lottery picks, guys. Oh, slurds. You know, there's there's so much more to comics than just amazing story and art. Believe it or not, there is the uh, slight possibility that one can potentially make a dollar or two, or maybe even several more, off a, uh, um, a, a early purchase of a comic book. And this brings me to Speculation Lottery. Now, by no means do any of the books that I'm mentioning here uh, promise to <laughs> hold, hold ground. Obviously, if you know anything about comics, you know nothing is um, financially promised to hold ground in this industry. These are the things, these are the picks that I find that, you know, could potentially gain steam financially on the old eBay market uh, down the road. So, um, that's why I kind of call this lottery, because this is uh, more shots in the dark than anything. Um, so, yeah, and once again, thank you, Joey, for the help on that name. I like it. It's, it's really starting to, to stick with me now. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, carrying on. I've got five here. Five potential steamers. <laughs> uh, starting with Bang. Bang number one. This uh, issue sold out pretty quick on uh, my old LCS. And uh, I would imagine that has something to do with the fact that it's already been picked up for a TV development with a director and producer and all of that already attached. Who they are, I didn't dig into all that to me. That's not necessarily important. But the fact is, is that, you know, Bang sold fast. Uh, I hear people talking about it, and uh, the reviews are good, and it's got a TV development thingy happening, so uh, that sounds like, you know, the recipe for a potential uh, um, good number one to have in the collection if you're looking to be a, one of them there flippers. Uh, not that I condone flipping, but I have nothing, I have no problem, and I, you know, obviously, you know, this, the point of this is to f potentially financially gain, I get it, but um, some some flippers just, uh, they don't play nice, let's put it that way, so I kind of, the term has a sour taste in my mouth, that's all. Um, so why do you talk about these, uh, Brian? Oh, well, uh, thank you. Uh, uh, I'll tell you why. Um, <laughs> because I still like having them in my collection, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. It's cool to have, um, you know, a $40 book in my collection, I guess, that I just picked up a few weeks ago or whatever. I don't know. It's just, it's cool. It's, it's a cool feeling, I get. So, carrying on. Bang number one was the first one. Uh, Batman... Number 89 is the obvious pick this week. If you went to any comic book store this week, more than likely you didn't have this book available to you unless you um, are a part of a store that doesn't really have a pull list program and you were just one of the first ones there, or you had it on your pull list already. Because it was, it was difficult to catch. It was, this was a big one. Um, I think it's already rounding about 30, 35 bucks on eBay, I believe. And, uh, well, why, you may ask? Well, it's a couple of cameos, and to me, if you've listened to this podcast before, um, you know that I designate a cameo as a first appearance, but, yeah, um, <laughs> so let's, let's just continue on here. Uh, designer be the, being the first one, this is definitely a full-blown appearance, in my opinion, um, I don't understand, uh, just because it's, he's only seen on camera, I guess, it's not considered a first appearance, 
but it's, I don't know, I'm not buying this one, but whatever. Supposedly the real first appearance will be in Batman number 90, but this is the cameo. The big one that everyone's after is Punchline. Uh, this is the reason this, why this book is picking up steam. It's Joker's new girlfriend, supposedly. And, uh, yeah, well, what do you see of Punchline? Honestly, nothing but some lips talking on a phone. Um, to be perfectly honest, my first thought was, did Harley Quinn just kind of change up her makeup a little bit? And, uh, <laughs> part of me, part of me is starting to believe that that is actually Harley Quinn. And I will get more to that in a minute, but in the meantime, the word is, is this is punchline, and, uh, yeah. So, uh, uh, big book. Big book for sure. Probably the biggest. Um, we've got, uh, first cover appearance. These don't always mean something, but it just kind of depends on what the actual character is. It seems like this Vox Supreme character is really taken off, or gaining steam within at least the Captain Marvel story arc. Uh, I've been buying this story arc. I haven't got around to reading it yet. But, uh, yeah, so the Vox Supreme cover, it, it's dope, it's Mark Brooks, so it's, that alone is worth picking up, but, um, for speculation's sake, it's a long shot for sure. In Wolverine number one, we got a first appearance of the Pale Girl. So, once again, just kind of depends on how important this Pale Girl character is. Really revolves around how much steam financially this, this gets. That's how the market works. And uh, the last lotto uh, long shot that we have here comes from Aquaman. Um, I did not pick this one up. Uh, it is number 57. And apparently Mira and Aquaman had themselves a little baby. So, there you go. Name it. I don't know. I'm going to call it, um, Finhound, uh, Bubble Snatch. There we go. <laughs> Fuck, I don't know. Uh, if it lost a bet to me, that's what I would call Aquaman's son, Finhound Bubble Snatch. <laughs> Fuck. Um, you know what? Let's talk books. Guys, I'm going to warn you, this this is a big, big, big week. Uh, it killed me. It almost killed me. Um, almost killed me. So, there's a bunch of overviews to talk about here. By, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, let's, let's just get on with it. Um, I'm going to start with some indies. Uh, keep in mind, there will be some stuff spoiled. So, these here... Uh, timestamps that I'll leave in the description could potentially be valuable to you. So, first book is from Aftershock, and it is God Killers. Uh, God Killers number one, Mark Sable, Man House, and Herman Cabrera. So, Man House, uh, his name I've spoken of recently. He's been doing some dope ass covers for going to the chapel. So. Yeah, um, other than that, you know, that's really the only uh, cre name out of the creative team that I'm familiar with. So, uh, yeah, very, very intriguing. So, here we go. Uh, essentially what it is, it's uh, it's this team known as the God Killers, and they are kind of designed for these special ops, and, uh, you know, they, they do all... Uh, honestly, I mean, there's just kind of special ops in the first, the first bit we get. They go to the, uh, they go to Marawi, Marawi? I don't know. I've, uh, so it's, uh, Islamic capital of the Philippines. 
essentially. It's a city that, yeah, all the uh, Islams apparently live in within the Philippines. Now, they've got within this city, we have the Abu Sayyaf, and they are a group of terrorists. They're essentially, you know, fucking ISIS is how it describes. And um, they've been inflicting this wasting disease on the population, and it's up to the god killers to come in and fuck shit up. So, you know, it's a bunch of Middle Eastern badasses. So, um, you know what? Fuck it. Uh, I, I, I wasn't mad at it at all. I dug it. It was fun. Um, I'm not sure it ca how it releases from here on as far as, you know, the weight of the weeks, if that makes sense, will kind of depend on uh, how far I carry on with it. I can't say, you know, it was the, the book that grabbed me by the boo-boo, but at the same time, it was very intriguing as well, and I dig that fucking art. Um, from Albatross Comics, we have The Goon. Uh, the Goon number eight. So, Eric Powell... Uh, Tom Snagoski, Snagoski, sorry, and uh, Brett Parson, and that uh, Eric Powell cover. So, what's going on here is the reveal of the motherfucker that's been uh, really bossing Dapper around the whole time. He's been behind the whole operation for these last eight issues, and Frankie and Goon, well, they uh, essentially they're captured by Dapper at this point, and the rest of the orphan kids, they're they're taken by the rest of the henchmen. Or at least, they're trying to. The kids, they're badasses. They escape, and they pretty much home alone themselves uh, <laughs> uh, throughout the alleyways, taking care of these henchmen. It's pretty badass. But uh, Goon and Frankie, they do meet the boss behind it all, and it turns out it's just a little kid. Uh, but not just any kid. It's Duck Kid. <laughs> and um, obviously, there's going to be a fight. Goon versus Dapper, and eventually Duck Kid gets involved. Duck Kid, he's a badass. He he has no problem handling so himself, despite his his little uh, his littleness, I guess. <laughs> and you know, Frankie, he's he's trying to throw his throw his fist too, and you know, he's he's doing his damnedest, but you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but in the, it's not looking good for the goon, but in the long run, like the goon does, he does kind of come out ahead, and really the end of the book is him throwing the kid's duck in a fire, and to understand what that means, you're just gonna have to read the fucking book. So, uh, yeah, you know, I don't always like to spoil all the indies, because they don't get the attention they deserve most of the time, so I like to just spark some interest. Huh. Deal with it. And just keep it... Just take my word for it. Fucking the goon is amazing. It, it completely took me by surprise. I loved it. Mm-hmm. I did. All right. From IDW, we've got the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, number 103. Kevin Eastman, Tom Waltz, Sophie Campbell, and Rhonda Pattison. Covered by Sophie Campbell. So, a few things happening here. Uh, it's kind of scattered, but that's only because the turtles are scattered. So, yeah, nothing wrong with that. Uh, big thing to take from this is Jenica's apartment. It gets ravaged by a bunch of these hungry-ass weasels. And, uh, yeah, the thing is, is they're, they're not after, you know, flesh. They're just after food. And then, they, you know, Jenica and uh, her friends, uh, Mona and Pride, also show up to witness all of this. Um, they, they realize that these weasels aren't just, you know, wild. They have tags and trackers on them. So at this point they think, well, someone's behind all this. So let's figure out what the fuck's going on. So they track these weasels and as they're tracking them and into this alley, they see this little kid come up and, you know, first, you know, the, the Jenica and them are like, oh shit, this fucking kid's about to get fucking, 
while eating. Fucked up. I don't know, these things are crazy. Aggressive. Well, it turns out, around the kid, it's not aggressive. And they start to realize that maybe the kids are, or these weasels kind of have more of a kid-like personality. So, one might wonder, maybe these weasels are, in fact, kids that have been turned into weasels. So, at least that's that's what it's seeming like to me. And, uh, yeah, well, um, before uh, Jenica and Mona and Pride can go in and figure out what the fuck's going on, out of an alley door comes Hob. And Hob is really the guy that's kind of actually supposed to be Pride's boss. Pride's kind of changing sides seemingly a little bit. She's starting to realize what her folks are doing ain't so good. So, um, yeah, she sees... Uh, uh, Hob throw this net around the weasels as the little turtle kid goes running away. And uh, I, I have a feeling, I just want to kind of pause for a second, derail for just a moment. That little turtle kid is not mentioned at all. Uh, these, I've never seen him before, and I have a, I don't know, I just think that there's something to this kid. I have a feeling that this might somehow come back to be a key issue. I don't know. Uh, I didn't really throw it in the lotto, but... I don't know, That's it's a real big reach, but I could be missing something too, so don't take my word for it. I don't know everything. I've only been reading Turtles for about four or five issues now. Uh, at least this run. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, no, so with that, uh, with that, the, the, the net on the weasels pisses off Pride, so she jumps up to confront Hob, and we get a, hey, I'm your boss, and bitch, you ain't my boss, and she slaps the shit out of him, and that's how that issue ends. So, uh... Yeah, digging the fuck out of Turtles still. I'm so glad I started reading this. Uh, it sucks it took 100 issues, but or almost 100 issues. Maybe it was 99 when I started reading. I could be wrong. I don't know. Continuing on with the indies, we've got some image to talk about. Uh, first one being uh, Middle West. Middle West number 15. <laughs> Scotty Young, Jorge Corona, and Jean-Francois Buell. Covered by Jorge Corona. All right. So on this end of the book, we're getting the the other side of the rescue. Uh, Jeb, Maggie, and Wrench, they're making their way to try to track down old Bobby and Abel, who, as we know, are on uh, old fucking what's-his-face's uh, uh, farm. Uh, I can't believe I forgot his name. God damn it. It'll pop into my head. Well, the thing is, is that there's a real bad rainstorm happening and a bridge is out. So with that, the caravan, and it's not just uh, Jeb, Maggie, and Wrench. They're bringing the rest of the whole crew along with them. Because as we know, it's kind of a little mini traveling society. It's a carnival. So uh, yeah, these carnies, if you will, are all caravanning around. And at this point, it's time, well, they got to build ships. They got to all band together and build ships to pass. But the thing is, the current's still a little strong. So, uh, they have an idea. Let's track down a motherfucker named Mick Doran. So they find Mick Doran, who is, in fact, the River Master. And with that, he, he's, they're able, uh, he helps them uh, with a little bit of convincing with, uh, by, by imbuing them with some motors for them, their ships, their boats, if they will. So they're able to cross properly. And, uh, um, but it's, it's not... <laughs> Uh, it's kind of funny how he, he, he's very reluctant at first. Um, why I'm not going to really get into, but it's actually Maggie that convinces him and she does so telepathically. And, uh, I find that to be, I don't, I don't, for some reason, I don't remember seeing her do that. I thought it was spoken of. It might've been spoken of in earlier issues, but I haven't had the chance to see her actually do it yet. So that's intriguing. 
Um, so yes, at this point, you know, it's things are looking a little bit better for uh, Maggie and Jeb and Wrench and all them to be able to get to Abel, but we do get a bit at the end of the book of Abel out in the fields doing his thing and also being, uh, kind of showcasing his pit-pocketing and flexing his, uh, his, his bossness, if you, if you will, uh, his, his new supervisor position, not flexing it in a bad way, but, you know, his, his being a leader and in a way that's, uh, gonna, you know, he's gonna attempt to break these motherfuckers out, so... Yeah, um, I'm 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 still digging Middle West. Fifteen issues of solidness. It's it's been great. I, I don't see how anybody could want to drop it. It just gets better every issue. Um, next up, more from Image. We got a number one, one that I have been anticipating for quite some time. We've got on the stump, on the stump number one from Chuck Brown and Prenzy cover, and I go, I went with the Prenzy cover uh, both times actually, and the reason why I say that is because. Um, I, I bought this book twice, and for two reasons. Um, admittedly, one was because the the original copy was damaged, um, and uh, that <laughs> and that was about three pages into the book. I blinked, and well, within that blink, it was it was in the hands of a uh, uh, a ten month old. And, you know, that's going to happen. But then I continued to read the book and realized that Chuck Brown and Prenzy are onto something fucking brilliant here. And as soon as this book catches on, um, this is, this is going to, this is going to do good things. I mean, Chuck Brown has already proven himself with Bitterroot, who I'm going to talk about here in just a second. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so I, um, for speculator's sake, yeah, it doesn't hurt to have more than one, I guess. And I, I'm happy to say that I have a reader copy and a crispy clean copy. I was lucky enough to go back to the shop and get the last cover, or the last book copy, that's what I'm trying to say, Jesus Christ, off the shelf. So, what's the book about? Um, it follows, uh, it follows initially a character by the name of Senator Jack Hammer. And he seems to be the, uh the the main the main character for the most part but the overall premise of the story is very it's very extreme <laughs> and I love it uh, is it political absolutely is it political in a uh, typical way by no fucking means so the the idea is is in order to pass bills and um, get shit going uh, you you have to you have to get in the ring and throw down fisticuffs hand to hand so the book starts out with senator jack hammer facing senator sweet snell sweet smell shaw jeez mouthful so uh yeah well um in a bloody battle jack hammer comes out ahead after a uh fucking long losing streak what was it like six fight losing streak or something like that so nobody had him. He comes out ahead. It was well, widely unexpected, and with that, he gains a little bit of a uh, notoriety. But the thing is, is that in this particular fight, he was actually set up to die, and um, a senator bearer on the other end had set up this hit. And the idea was, is he was actually trying to pass a bill allowing deaths in the ring, which obviously is not allowed at this point. So um, he was going to use the death of Jack Hammer to, you know, kind of. Uh, push his bill, and uh, yeah, well, when that doesn't go as planned, mm, yeah, that's there's obviously some fuckery that's going to be afoot. Um, Annabelle Lister, 
Uh, she's an agent. She shows up to help Jackhammer, kind of warn him, this is what the fuck's going on. I need your help. You need my help. Let's let's do this shit. And, uh, yeah. Uh, I'm not going to get into it any more than that. That is the overall premise. I'm not going to break down in number one bit by bit, because, once again, I do want you, I need you to enjoy these books <laughs> um, without having them completely spoiled and ruined. But that's that's the overall. I mean, if that doesn't get you hyped, then... Uh, fuck, maybe it's not for you, but goddamn, this, this book is, it, it is bloody, the, the art is so fucking gruesome, man, the, uh, I mean, check the, my social media feed, you, you, you know, at, you know, Twitter and Facebook and all of that stuff, um, I, uh, I, <laughs> I posted this stuff for a reason, because the, the, the violence depicted in it is so fucking brutally, uh, far-fetched and extreme that one can, whew, yeah, <laughs> I fucking dig it, man. Chuck Brown, I was so happy to have him talk about this book on the podcast. He fully fucking delivered. I'm going to keep talking about him in this next book. We've got Bitterroot number six, still from Image Comics. Uh, Bitterroot, Bitterroot is back after way too long of a hiatus, in my opinion. But it's only I guess it's only been uh, two or three months, maybe. I don't know. Way too long, though. <laughs> Uh, David F. Walker, Chuck Brown, Sanford Green, and Sophie Dodgson doing colors. We got a cover by Sanford Green, as we should. So, uh, the beginning of the book takes place in Barzok. Now, Barzok is this other world, if you will. And uh, this is kind of planned at the end of... I guess I could back up and kind of just recap the last few pages of issue 5 of Bitterroot. And that's really Colin showing up with some thought-to-be-dead relatives out of this portal. And he is aged and he's gone from kind of... Um, I don't want to say puny looking, but uh, he's way more beefier and more menacing looking now. Let's put it that way. Um, so yes. Uh, but we kind of backtrack a little bit. And it's him... Uh, going through more of the process of him rescuing Charlie and Nora Sangri, Charlie being his dad, Nora being his, I want to say aunt on some level, and uh, yeah, both thought to be very dead. Charlie ain't got no legs though, so you do got to keep that in mind. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's not just him rescuing them as much as it is kind of introducing the real threat to uh, this next arc, and that would be Adro. Adro was uh, touched upon quite a bit in the uh, Red Summer special. And that is uh, Walter Sylvester, who was seemingly the, the big bad throughout all this. His assistant, the, you know, some shit happens to her, and eventually she transforms into Adro. That's how I remember it, at least. Keep in mind, it's been a minute, but that's how I remember it. Um, so yes, Adro, she's a bad motherfucker, and Colin knows this. Bigger than any other uh, Genu threat that could possibly be out there. So, um, with that, he's a, the family's all back together now. Meanwhile, you know, it's no longer flashback mode. And uh, Colin warns him, Adro, she's a bitch. So, uh, with all, you know, and then, uh, right on cue, Genu attack. They're fucking relentless. Um... So we get a badass fight scene, as we fucking deserve to have, <laughs> from Samford Green. And, uh, yeah, um, you know, we, it's, uh, we're so, we're reintroduced to these characters, and, I mean, uh, it's so good, Berg is so back, he's so back to being badass, and Ford, they're so fuck, oh my god, man, uh, I can't wait for this movie to come out, I really can't wait for this movie to come out, it's gonna be so goddamn good. 
Um, so yes, as the Sangries are all being attacked by Jinu, uh, Adro arrives in Georgia, and she kind of finds these uh, the, these townsfolk, this little town, in need of some guidance, and uh, she's feeding off of their pain, as she would, because she a bitch. And that's Bitterroot number six. God damn, I, if, I mean, obviously, if you've listened to this podcast just recently, you know that I talk about Bitterroot, even, I talk about Bitterroot even when Bitterroot's on hiatus. I really do love this book, uh, from deep, deep down, and this isn't just me, uh, I can't say just, it's not me in any way, shape, or form, me trying to come out and say, hey, you know, I'm trying to pander to you know, social justice and all of that stuff, and I know that sounds terrible in that way to say, but social justice is definitely an important issue and all of that, but I'm not trying to, um, be that guy, I truly just love this fucking story, and that's, that's what it is, so, um, yeah, uh, my recommendation will, continues to stand going into the second arc, shout out to you, Bitterroot Boys. Uh, let's talk a little bit of Dark Horse Comics to wrap up the indies, we've got Skulldigger and Skeleton Boy number three, from Jeff Lemire and Tonsi Zonjic. I hope I'm saying that right. I got the Tonsi Zonjic cover. Zonjic? That's probably Zonjic. Um, yeah. Uh, there are three or four covers to choose from on the rack. Uh, at least at my shop. Uh, I picked... I, I Gotta get that cover, eh, baby? <laughs> so, um, picking up right where we left off. God damn, this book just continues to... Uh, not, I can't say surprise me, but just... Whew. I love it. So we've uh, we get a little bit of a flashback. It's the journal of the Crimson Fist, who is a former superhero, uh, who is now a mayoral candidate, uh, campaigning against vigilanteism and superheroes all. So he's making it. And the fact that he used to be a superhero and everybody knows that is making his campaign a little bit difficult. Um, so yeah, we get a little bit of a backstory of him chasing Grim Jim back in 1976. Now, uh, Grim Jim, he is back, uh, to disrupt this whole fucking mayoral, uh, what do you call it? Um, I guess political rally. There we go. That's what I'm trying to say. And yeah, well, Skulldigger, he shows up in broad daylight. That's not something that he typically does, but he understands how much of a threat threat Grim Jim is, so that doesn't stop him, so he leaves Skeleton Boy behind, and, you know, from his training, and says, I got shit to do, you stay here, I'm gonna go fight Grim Jim, um, so he's doing that, and unfortunately, it's not really going all that great for him, I mean, it's not like he's just getting his ass handed to him, but it's, it's quite a fight, and it's being televised, keep in mind, so Skeleton Boy is just watching, and then he realizes, fuck this shit, I'm going out there, so Skeleton Boy is really just the, uh, uh, just en enough to kind of tip the scales in the favor of Skulldigger to, um, uh, get Crimson Fist to, I guess, or, I mean, um, Grim Jim, uh, to retreat, and he does, because, you know, like I said, it's a whole, yeah, one-on-one-on-one uh, -on -one -on -one type of battle situation. Um, I take that back. I'm not sure Crimson Fist fights at all. I, I, I have that wrong in my notes. Disregard that. It is just Skulldigger versus Grim Jim. Crimson Fist is not fighting. He's uh, cowering, because he's not Crimson Fist anymore. <laughs> my bad. Uh, I get a little ahead of myself in my notes sometimes. Uh, but yeah, no, so with that being said, um, Skeleton Boy shows up, and um, uh, Grim Jim, he does escape, and that kind of pisses off Skulldigger, but at the same time, 
I kind of get the sense that he's a little proud of his, his training abilities to old Skeleton Boy. Um, so, yeah, they get back to their little lair, if you will. Um, and uh, he Skulldigger, Skulldigger explains to Skeleton Boy why he does not want him to get involved in this fight in any way, shape, or form. And that big reason being, now this is a major spoiler, Grim Jim is Skulldigger's so yeah baby uh we got two more issues of this and <laughs> fuck man make this ongoing uh people ask me what this is about yeah people ask me and i say it's if batman had no morals if he didn't go by that little cody head uh this really feels like batman and robin it's it's almost like frank miller writing batman and robin in a way but it's jeff lemire writing batman and robin it's uh, so good. So goddamn good. That does it for the indies. There's, whew, we're, damn, we're deep into this podcast already. Uh, <laughs> great stuff, though. Great stuff. And I picked up an abundance more that I'll talk about slightly, eventually, here, shortly. But we're going to talk Marvel. Next up from Marvel, we've got a big one, and uh, um, physically as well it was a eight dollar price tag because it was a i think it was a 40 45 page book definitely weighed that way it was wolverine number one um benjamin percy adam kubert and frank martin uh the uh, kubert and martin did the story uh, or the the cover i mean there was also a second creative team to this as well but the bulk of the story comes from the first part and uh uh, this is it, it follows uh, five days of events. It's Wolverine waking up um, and to see that he and realize that he had killed his friends um, and by his friends, really the X Force. Um, so then from there it backs up five days prior and then just goes in reverse leading up to that. So five days prior, it's uh, Kate asking Kate Pride, the old Marauder, still alive at this point, asking Wolverine for help. Her shipments uh, seem to be kind of losing uh, product back and forth, and for some reason that's that's uh that's not cool. And this product isn't just uh, oats and grains and beer and whatnot. It's pollen, and what is pollen? Um, yeah, it's not just uh, uh, shit that hummingbirds munch on. It is also a street drug. <laughs> this new street drug, if you will. Now. Um, We'll get behind that more in a second, but yeah. So then uh, it just kind of backs up, and you know the, the timeline introduces Jeff Bannister, who is this narcotics agent who is also after this pollen. Um, and then uh, Wolverine, he realizes he needs to recruit the X Force for help. And then when they arrive, you know they figure out where they're going. They kind of back up and they see the Order of X. Order of X is this group uh, cult. It's definitely a cult of non-mutant mutant worshippers and as the x-force arrive they start to say praise and then they you know snort this pollen and they uh they get all zombie-like and get super fucking violent and yeah um and uh, uh in that we also get the introduction of pale girl like i had mentioned in the speculation point she kind of comes off as more of a mirage to me in some way i don't know if she just has the ability to just kind of look ghostly and disappear but i don't really feel like that was her but i guess we just kind of get um i don't know i don't fucking know i don't know what she classifies a fucking first appearance anymore that's whatever cgc says goes i guess it's not even up to the goddamn creator anymore but whatever uh carrying on 
Well, this pale girl, she is the, the leader of this pollen operation, what they're calling the flower cartel. So yeah, there you go. And uh, the, 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 she, she's able to make people do things, and that's that's the thing. And that that all leads up to the fact that she's able to make Wolverine kill the X-Force. So, big, huge, heavy fucking first issue, man. Uh, mm-hmm. Gnarly shit. And as we know, the X-Force will come back. But still, gnarly shit. Gnarly fucking shit. Um... Yeah, and then there's the second part of this issue, this other story. It's really, it's uh, reintroducing Omega Red and the rivalry between he and Wolverine, and Magneto sending Wolverine through a portal to Paris to figure out what the fuck is up with Omega Red and what his intentions may be and what happened to him because he he arrives in Krakoa all bloody and freaked out and yeah, um so but seemingly without memory so that's yeah, uh, where Wolverine comes in. And in in Paris, he finds the Night Guard. And the Night Guard, apparently they're this group that fights vampire... Fucking... Yeah, this vampire nation. And, uh, yeah, well, Dracula, apparently he has Omega under his will. And uh, he's he's there to infiltrate Krakoa. So that's what Wolverine finds out. Great fucking first issue. Benjamin Percy, uh, he's, he's a fucking beast. He's a beast... Uh, I'm, I'm digging what the fuck he's doing, and I love that he's in, he's incorporating his X-Men in, or his X-Force title into this right off the bat because I think X-Force is the best thing that the Dawn of X has produced so far. Just saying. Uh, more from the Dawn of X, we've got Marauders number eight. Jerry Duggan, Stefano Caselli, and Edgar Delgado, covered by Russell Dauterman and Matthew Wilson. All right, so. Bishop, he's telepathically just kind of calling out for assistance, really out into the void, hoping someone answers, but he's really, really, really far out there. Um, and where is really far out there? Uh, he is on this Vernid ship outside of Madripoor. So apparently anybody telepathic is uh, nowhere close to Madripoor. But the person that answers just so happens to be Emma Frost. So, uh, with that, the, the message to Emma Frost is delivered that he has spotted Kate Bishop, or I keep calling him Kate, call, ugh, keep calling her Kate Bishop. It's Kate Pride. Uh, Kate Pride's body just a floating. But, um, <laughs> and obviously there's, there's a, you know, not a great reaction. Before Bishop is able to recover the body, unfortunately, the Verendi get to it, but thankfully, um, the, the, the Marauders, uh, are able to show up and recover the body, and with that, I really just mean Iceman. Iceman shows up, and, yeah, uh, he fucks everybody up, and he's fucking brutal. I gotta say, Iceman is a fucking pimp in this. Uh, definitely my favorite character of this issue. And he breaks off that dude's arm and says, Frostbite, well, I'm <laughs> so fucked, dude. He's got a dope-ass line. There's no way I could do it justice by re-quoting it. Quoting it. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, uh, they, they get the body and, you know, with that storm finds out that, you know, fucking she, the fact is she's really, really pissed off at Emma for letting Kate just kind of do her thing to begin with. Doesn't like the fact that she named her a part of her, her, uh, um, oh fuck, what do you call it? I don't, I, I, god damn it, the word's escaping, her little group, um, god damn it, what's it called? Whatever, it'll come to me again. Um, yeah, 
But, and that's because they haven't figured out why the fuck she can't go through portals and all this other shit, and why she may not be able to be revived, and probably not be able to be revived for that matter. But with that, they hug it out, Emma and Storm, and yeah. Then we kind of, we transfer over to Sebastian and Shinobi Shaw, and they are at a table recruiting some new Black Knights. Not exactly sure who they are, I can only imagine we'll find out in more detail for later issues. Uh, the end of the book, however, is, as we know, Lockheed, his uh, floating body, has been found, and not dead, thankfully, recovered by these uh, uh, Madriporians, if you will, little daughter and a father, and yeah, so they just decide, you know, there is this fucking strange dragon that we found in the, in the water, <laughs> they're not gonna keep it, so, uh, <laughs> that does it for Marauders. Still digging it. I love Jerry Duggan, man. He's great. He, as far as I'm concerned, you know, any anything he does, I'm, I'm, I'm subscribed to. I love it. Um, we've got some Daredevil to talk about. Daredevil number eighteen. Uh, legacy numbering 630. Chip Zarsky, Jorge Fornes, and Nolan Woodard. Covered by Julian Titino Tedesco. My favorite cover artist to say in comics. So, uh, really, this is just a, a quick synopsis type of overview. Um, you know, what Zarsky does with the storytelling, it's something that you really, in order to experience fully, you have to, uh, or even close to, for that matter. Uh, you, you have to read for yourself. So what's essentially going on here is Cole, Agent Cole, and Murdoch, they're teaming up at this point, they're coup, and they're tracking down this abducted kid. Now this abducted kid is not just any abducted kid, it is the granddaughter of one crime lord known as Izzy Libris, <coughs> of the Libris family. Uh, so, we know this is, uh, can't be having that. Now, um, who the, this kidnapping was fashioned by was none other than the Owl. He's got a big old fucking set of nuts on him that uh, Zarsky has really just kind of drawn onto him. The Owl has been the big bad of this entire, or most of this Daredevil run, which is, uh, I respect it. The Owl doesn't get love. Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, he's... he's uh, that, that's that's kind of what's going on on that side, you know, they... they they track down the, the 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 granddaughter and you know the kidnappers. They're just some low-level thugs for the most part. But yeah, uh, they they take handle of the situation. Really, the big, 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 big thing to pull out of all of this is the fact that Stormwind at this point, the Stormwinds have kind of they they've got Kingpin of all people kind of by the balls. They just fucked him up and he's recovering and you know they they've really kind of sullied and tarnished his name as a mayor and it's not looking good for him so stormwind gives this call the stormwinds give a call and say hey check it out king or hell's kitchen is ours now motherfucker and you're gonna start seeing this crazy uprising and you're gonna completely lose control and kingpin sorry dude and with that we get a hint of what's probably going to be <sighs> my favorite part of zarsky's daredevil run <laughs> And we get we get some very familiar faces. A couple of them I can't quite pinpoint, but the three that definitely stand out to me is Black Mask, Rhino, and Bullseye. And immediately, you know, Bullseye's in there because without uh, you know without even being in frame, you see uh, just a fucking goddamn random sharp object being tossed, thunked right into a motherfucker's head. That is, um, I guess. Uh, 
not being obedient in some way, shape, or form. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I forget why. But yeah, he just, as soon as I saw that, I was like, "Oh fuck, Bullseye's back for sure." And then you see Black Mask really in the front of it all, and then you see Rhino in the back with these two other characters. I can't, like I said, I can't quite make out who they are, but um, that's just part of Fornus's drawing. We'll get to it. He has very unique ways of depicting these characters. I mean, even Rhino. I mean, if, yeah, he. Um, he's just drawn, he's not drawn, and I'm not saying he's drawn poor by any means, he's just, oh, he's got his own fucking badass, oh god, I'm so excited to talk about Rhino, I don't get to talk about Rhino enough on this goddamn podcast, he's so underutilized in comics, he's my favorite Spidey rogue, so, uh, that does it for Daredevil, we're gonna talk Deadpool now, oh, Deadpool, Deadpool number three, um, it is Kelly Thompson and Chris Bichalo. Just fucking shit up. David Curiel on the covers as well. Colors as well. And uh, Bachalo and Tim Townsend did the cover. So, this is... Uh, I sh- Honestly, I probably should have just made this an honorable mention. But, um... <laughs> fuck. It's it's Craven. He's hunting down Deadpool and his, his monsters. And the monsters are... Uh, you know, they're, they're standing up, they're doing their best to fight, and we get a badass motherfucking fight between Deadpool and Kraven, and, uh, I mean, fuck, like I said, that's, shit, that's, that's really it, that's, it's, it's so visual, Bichalo just fucking kills it with these visuals, man, it is so goddamn gory, it is hyper-violent, it is very Deadpool, and, um, even in a very, uh, <laughs> it's awesome because Craven, of course, he gets tired of Deadpool's talking, so he cuts his vocal cords, and you know it, it goes silent for a while, and it's just kind of Craven being villainous and monologous, and oh man, so fucking good. It's not over yet though. The fight's not over yet. It's I can't. Oh, man, sorry, I keep grunting. <laughs> it's bringing out the fucking. Oh, the violence. Oh, the violence. (laughs) Guardians of the Galaxy number two. This is the last Marvel book I'm going to talk about this week. Uh, Lots of Marvel that was talked about, though. No doubt about it. But Guardians of the Galaxy is going to wrap it up. Number two, Legacy 164. Al Ewing, Juan Cabal, and Federico Bli. Covered by Ivan Chavron. Sorry. Ivan Chavron. That's a fun name to say, too. So, uh, our new team of Guardians, which consists of Peter Quill, Rocket Raccoon, Nova, Philavel, Marvel Boy, and Noom Dragon, Noob Dragon? Moon Dragon, are all split up. Uh, Marvel Boy and Moon Dragon are in their own place right now as Hercules comes through this portal. Hercules comes through this portal in the last issue with good intentions, but Marvel Boy and Moon Dragon just kind of want to feel him out for a minute first. And Moon Dragon recognizes that he cool, despite the fact that the rest of the Olympians are fucking up everything. And that's where Quill, Nova, Rocket, and Phyla all come in. So, um, yeah. Uh, they're struggling. They're struggling hard. Uh, Nova's out almost immediately. Um, it's, it's, it's not good. But uh, with the help of Moon Dragon and her connection to Philavel, she transfers her strength over to Philavel and really allows um, the, the, the Guardians to just kind of, you know, well, honestly, the Olympians just say, you know what, fuck this, we'll be back in a minute, we got other shit to do. And they retreat. 
Um, so uh, from there, Marvel Boy and Moon Dragon realize that you know Hercules is cool, and they're just kind of. I guess this. I, I kind of got my timelines mixed up. Uh, at one point in time, Athena confront Marvel Boy and Moon Dragon. I forget what comes about that, but honestly, not much. But now that the, the Olympians have retreated, uh, the threat of the black hole bomb is no longer a thing. And, uh, yeah, well, that's not necessarily the case in Quill's eyes. So as the, you know, Rocket and Phyla and, um, you know, carry Nova, or, or Phyla really carries Nova onto the ship where Rocket resides to meet up with Marvel Boy and Moon Dragon. And the ship, keep in mind, is called the Bowie. <laughs> Um, uh, they realize that Quill's not on the ship, he pilots the ship remotely, and gets them the fuck out of there, because he realizes that he has to detonate the black hole bomb, because he realizes that there is a, there is a massive, massive threat that's going on on this little planet that they have encountered where the Olympians are, the, the, that involves these automatons, and apparently... Uh, they they just must be destroyed at any cost, and this this black hole bomb can't be detonated remotely, or at least Quill doesn't know how. So he fucking blows himself up, and uh, some tears are shed. Let's fucking put it that way: some tears are shed. It's a sad day for the Guardians. Can't wait to see what happens when Gamora finds out Rocket's dead. Uh, let's talk DC Comics. We got a few DC Comics to talk about. We're gonna talk Nightwing. Nightwing number 69. Dan Jurgens, Ronan Cleekett, and Nick Filardi. Covered by Travis Moore and Nick Filardi. Alright. Sorry, losing a voice here. Grayson. Dick Grayson. He's not Dick. I'm not going to call him Dick or Rick at this point. Right now, he's just Grayson. He doesn't know if he's Dick or Rick. Um, he's in Switzerland, though. S- Switzerland? Why is Switzerland? Jesus, he's in Switzerland and he's uh, he's he's attempting. Uh, keep in mind, he has got this new costume as well. Um, so new look. Uh, he's no longer just rocking black charcoal around his eyes to hide his identity. <laughs> so yeah, he's got this new look, and he's with his girl. He's with B. And they are in Switzerland tracking down his doctor, Dr. Haas. He wants some more answers. Maybe she can help him figure out the, uh, the, the, the tornness in his brain. You know, why the fact that his, his memories are mixed between the Batman memories and the Talon memories, the, the, court, the Court of Owl memories, if you will. So when he gets to her, her little whatever, he's kind of snooping around, and in her desk, he f- she he finds a you know a court of owls mask, and he realizes, oh shit, this bitch has been fucking with me the whole time. She's been manipulating my brain, and yes, well the confrontation does happen, and we do get a badass fight between a few owl assassins as Doctor Haas looks on. And she explains, look, yeah, no, I was manipulating you with your, you know, the psychology and the pills, but it's so much more to that. And then she pulls out this fucking goddamn crystal necklace and says, hey, yeah, I'm hypnotizing you. And what's it called? Uh, it's called the Identity Crystal. And apparently it's, it allows you to uh, uh, manipulate one's, uh, I, you know, thought of one's identity of oneself. <laughs> so, yes, we get a whole thing that's happening there, but... 
Um, thankfully, thankfully, there is an explosion that happens, because <laughs> thankfully, and uh, that kind of breaks the, the uh, hypnosis that Grayson is under at that point in time, because, you know, she's trying to use it on him again, obviously. And it's working. But yes, the explosion happens, and they go flying into this this water, because they are on this creepy uh, island. And Haas, uh, it seems like Grayson's going to uh, be able to help her. He reaches out for her, despite the fact that, you know, fuck that bitch. But she, she apparently she doesn't make it. Because he makes it, and he explains, look, I couldn't find her, but uh, hey, I got the crystal. So, hmm, now he's going to try to use this crystal to find out his true identity of himself. I'm hoping it happens in number 70. I called it in 69. We're definitely getting closer, though, no doubt about it. Uh, I'm still fucking loving Nightwing. Uh, I've, you know, I read the first, what was it, 30, 35 issues of Nightwing, and then took a break for... I don't know, I think until, I don't know, 48 or something like that, and I've been reading since. It's been a fucking blast. I love this book. Uh, continuing on, we're going to talk Batman. Probably the hottest book of the week on, for speculator's sake, but you know what? God damn it, the story was fucking great, too. So Batman number 89. Uh, James Tinian IV, Carlo Pegulian. Gullian, sorry, Gillian March and Danny Mickey with the help of Tomal Moray on colors, covered by Tony S. Daniel and Tomal Moray. So, our book starts out with Penguin bursting into a hospital and threatening a nurse, saying, Hey, bitch, uh, I just got stabbed. I thought he got cut, but he got stabbed. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, well, Batman just dumped him off, and he says, Look, uh, call this number and save my life. And I'll give you $100,000, and if you refuse um, either of those, or fail to do either of those, for that matter, I'm going to kill everybody in your family, or I'll have my men do it. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's where the penguin's at. Uh, meanwhile, well, Batman, he's he's off taking out these, uh, these um, rogues that have, you know, Deathstroke has employed that have just kind of, you know, they escaped their prison. So the first one he's after is Gunsmith, a.k.a. Douglas Worth, and we get a little bit of a backstory on him. Essentially, he's just, in a roundabout way, he's just a contract killer now. Started out one way, fucking shit up in the middle of the East, and now he just gets paid to kill people. Doesn't matter who they are. Um, Batman is also f uh, facing off against uh, Mr. Teeth, as he is trying to track down the Riddler, and uh, apparently these these rogues are this guy Mr. Teeth is also after the Riddler, and uh, so yes, the the people involved in this this plan that the designer has in store, apparently Deathstroke's folks are I, I'm not sure I, I don't know I'm I'm a little confused here, uh, designer employed these new guys to take out the people that were part of the old plan that he imbued i'm I, I once again don't know for sure um but the fact is these new guys are the same place that the the the, the original pieces of the plan 
or supposed to be. So Batman, he's after the Riddler, and when he gets there, he realizes the Riddler isn't necessarily there, so he runs tapes, and that's where we get the first appearance of Designer confronting Riddler, and, you know, Batman, this is very detective-y, and I respect the hell out of, the, you know, what Tinian's doing here, you know, he shows Batman being a fucking detective, and he says, hey, look, he's giving hand signals, and he deciphers the hand signals to mean some sort of, uh, Egyptian whatever relating to some riddle, you know, and blah, blah, blah. So he's able to kind of figure out some shit. Um, uh, meanwhile, uh, Harley and, you know, she's rescued Catwoman and they're getting the fuck out of there. And, um, you know, we got Merlin that shows up to also hunt down Harley and Catwoman. And, you know, there's also someone else. I don't know who she is. I don't think it's Huntress, but... Uh, yeah, um, they're there, doesn't, then it doesn't matter, you don't really see them for long, because Harley and Catwoman just fucking own them, and you know that, because they walk in, um, essentially, uh, Catwoman is, uh, trying to track down Riddler herself, you know, because she's part of the old gang, and she's trying to figure the fuck, you know, shit out, and she, you know, just on the phone with them, and on the last issue, so yeah, when Catwoman arrives, and, you know, expecting to see Riddler, it's Batman, so she gets her opportunity to spill the beans and let her know, you know, back in the day when I was, you know, a fucking cunt, I, uh, you know, I kind of had this whole master plan, and, you know, you get it. Or maybe you don't get it, maybe I will say it. She set up a plan that was uh, really set up by a feller named The Designer. And, uh, uh, yeah, well, the, the, this plan involved Riddler, Penguin, Joker, um, and uh, Catwoman. Is that it? Yeah, I believe that's it. And, uh, yeah, well, um, fucking, because Catwoman kind of didn't do her part, I think is why Deathstroke's team has been, um, sent upon, uh, the, the, this, you know, this, this quartet, mm, yeah. So, um, that's essentially kind of what Catwoman is explaining. Uh, don't really know the details of the plan itself, but the, the plan was essentially to take out Batman at some point in time. So, yeah. Um, now we get the epilogue, and the epilogue is really the, the, the thing that everyone's after in this book, sadly. Um, I hope everybody actually got to read this, you know, <laughs> fucking story, because Tinian's writing something incredible here. Um, but, uh, Joker, he's back. The, that guy, that guy that we thought was in the grave wasn't Joker, obviously. It was just some feller named Artie, who used to run with the old Joker gang. So, uh, yeah, now Joker's back, and he has this new squeeze we call Punchline. And Punchline, she's been keeping tabs on, I guess, everybody. So, yeah, she's just kind of reporting into the Joker, saying this is what's going on, blah da blah da blah da blah da blah so there you have it. Uh, I'm fucking loving this book so much. I, I, yeah. <laughs> Shame on anybody that just dropped it after Tom King's run, or after 85, just because Tom King wasn't writing it anymore, because... This is really good stuff. This is really, really, really good stuff. Continuing on, um, more DC. We've got Justice League number 41. The new creative team continues on. Robert Venenditti and Aaron Lopresti with Matt Ryan and David Barron. Uh, covered by Brian Hitch and Jeremiah Skipper. So, um, story starts out, Daily Planet, people still bitching about Superman being a cheetah, cheetah, and, uh, yeah, well, as they're all arguing, Superman and a, uh, Daxamite come crashing through, 
and uh, boom, uh, you know, this is what's setting up the, the, the rest of the issue. And down below, the rest of the Justice League take on the rest of these supermen or Daxamites, uh, people from Daxam, Daxam. And uh, they are all stronger than Superman and vulnerable on Earth because the Yellow Sun is even more uh, juicier to their insides, I guess. I don't know. I don't think that's how Robert Venditti wrote it. Don't quote me on that. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, the fucking, they're, they're getting their ass kicked, you know, and, uh, it's, it's being led by a feller named the, by, you know, with the name of Eradicator, and he's got his advanced legion, and, yeah, they're, they're all's fucking doomed. Thing is, Batman ain't there, he's off doing other shit, he's out recruiting magic. Madame Zandu seems to be the, uh, the request done by old... Wonder Woman, and may I, speaking of Wonder Woman, I gotta mention, uh, Wonder Woman even goes to use the Lasso of Truth on uh, one of the uh, Daxamites, and it seems to be working on him for a second, and that's as as he's explaining how invulnerable uh, they are on Earth, and then, yeah, he just throws her fucking, like, goddamn uh, wet noodle across the goddamn city. And, uh, yeah, that's when you really realize what the fuck you're dealing with. Poor Wonder Woman, might I add, as I will continue on. Um, <laughs> you'll find out. So, uh, yeah, Batman, he's, he's out trying to get Madame Xandu. First, she's choking the shit out of him with her, with her magic and whatnot, but eventually he does this, uh, like, noble thing where he... He kneels down and he takes off his utility belt and that's a whole moment. And it's actually pretty cool how they do it. Like this is the part of the book that really, really turned me uh, as far as, you know, okay, no, this is definitely something to wor that's, you know, worth continuing to turn the pages. Not that I didn't like the first part. It was just, this was, mm, this was badass. Um, so yeah, he does, you know, he kind of kneels down and says, hey, me lady, or whatever the fuck, and so yeah, they, they arrive, and we get this awesome moment, the Eradicator's doing his, I'm gonna kill you all, you know, he's pretty much got like a firing squad type of situation lined up for the Justice League, and, um, then you just see a, a batarang, dink, right off of Eradicator's head, and that's when you know that Xandu's arrived, and Batman, uh, and, uh, uh, Xandu, she does this little portally thing that gets, gets, uh, Eradicator up out of there. It's temporary, but yeah, it allows the, you know, the Justice League to kind of recoup for a moment, I guess. Um, and, uh, you know, they, she teleports everybody, or I guess she doesn't teleport Eradicator, um, she teleports the, the Justice League. And as they arrive on some, like, weird desolate place, uh, they're, they're down ahead, and she says, oh, sorry, I couldn't save everybody, and we, then we see this big worldwide, uh, broadcast by the Eradicator, essentially explaining, look, your world has been compromised, um, uh, what you know as Superman is puny compared to what me and my army and my people are, so it's useless to, to fucking, you know, revolt. And anybody that does, I'm gonna turn to fucking pudding. So, I don't think he says pudding. That's just the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, <laughs> I don't fucking know. Uh, that's why I don't write comics. Because that's what I would have wrote. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then you realize that the, the he has a little bit of, you know, fucking uh, realness to add to the broadcast when he holds up the body of a Justice League member. 
doubt she's dead. She's not looking good. Oh, by the way, when I say she, it just kind of takes away from the suspense of who it may be. It's Wonder Woman. And that's when I say, poor Wonder Woman. God damn it. You know what? She, <laughs> not good. Not good for her. Not good for her. So, uh, you know what? Um, I was, I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about, uh, Justice League after Tinian, considering this is an all-new team to me, but I'm continuing on. I'm going to keep buying this. I'm going to keep reading it. I'm going to keep talking about it. And then, you know, honestly, I, 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 I read so little, I subscribe to so little DC books, sadly. That's not by choice. It's just because there's just not enough characters out there for me to, um, really get completely involved with that, you know, interest me as far as ongoings go. Um, but I feel like the Justice League is a staple. You know, Justice League and Batman, if you're going to have a comic book podcast, you better fucking be talking about those two. Just like, you know, you better be talking about Avengers and Spider-Man. You know what I mean? So, uh, but thankfully, I'm not doing this because I feel forced at this point. I'm, I'm truly fucking enjoying uh, Venditti's run of Justice League so far. I like... I like how this is going. I'm very intrigued with this door that Snyder set up still, though. Still want to figure that out. Uh, continuing on. Continuing on. Um, last book of the overviews this week. I know, it's been a long one, guys. We've got... <laughs> God damn. This is a good... Deceased Unkillables, number one. This is a three-parter continuing on from Tom Taylor's Deceased run that I found to be probably my favorite thing I read last year. And this book just continued to be a reminder of that. Um, yeah, uh, Tom Taylor, Carl Mostert, and Rex Locus on the creative team with this, with Howard Porter and Tomal Moray doing cover A. There are also a couple, there's continuing on with the horror covers um, and the Matina covers as well, as they should. Um, so yes, uh, essentially, which, <laughs> this is fucking awesome, this is Deathstroke, baby, Deathstroke, he, he arrives to do a hit, hit doesn't turn out the way it's supposed to be, he sees a bunch of motherfuckers running, and he realizes motherfuckers aren't running from him, running from some Nazi zombies, um, uh, he's, he's fucking up these Nazi zombies, and he's doing so very easily, that does not seem to be the threat, uh, but when he calls to say, hey, this is bullshit, I should be getting paid more than this, he pulls out his phone, and guess what? Anti-life virus, or equation, virus. Um, well, here's the thing, Deathstroke, he's special, he survives on account of his, uh, um, rejuvenation, or replenishment, what's the fuck? Uh, regeneration, Jesus Christ. So, um, then we go over to a, uh, another <laughs> fucking awesome character, and that'd be Jason Todd. And Jason Todd, he arrives at the Batcave to find his, uh, his Batfam pretty fucking dead, with the exception of Ace. Uh, and then he gets into the Batmobile. He gets into the Batmobile. It's the first time he's been allowed to be in the Batmobile. And he says, Batmobile, show me all the, uh, alive heartbeats of the Bat family. And he says there are two. So, um, uh, who those are, uh, that would be, um... Uh, who, who survived, uh, it was, uh, was it Damien? Yeah, Damien Wayne survived, and then Alfred, so those are the two heartbeats that are still kind of being registered, and, uh, yeah, so, uh, fucking, naturally, uh, Jason Todd, he's, he's a little, he's a little upset, so, um, yeah, from there, it kind of cuts over to Commissioner Gordon, and, uh, uh, he's, he's running for his life, and then we see this 
bat female bat figure come flying through and in his head he kind of thinks oh he's kind of hoping it's his daughter but we all know that she did uh he doesn't know that yet though it's not her um it is uh one cassie kane cassandra kane and yeah so she's out there doing her thing and then boom uh she she rescues uh commish and throws him in the batmobile and jason todd's up front and that's when he explains look everybody's fucking dead bro everybody's dead sorry about that and yeah <laughs> so uh from there they jump on over to bloodhaven and they uh well actually he even shows him proof he goes up to uh the the zombified tied up crazy ver- ravenous version of his daughter and he has to witness that and yeah not so good. So from there, he is convinced, the commissioner. So, yeah, the, the the trio head over into Bloodhaven to see what the fuck's happening there. And they, they come across this, their orphanage. And that's kind of where that part of the story leads off. But the, the big part of all of this is, uh, t- to me, is, the, is following the whole Deathstroke. Deathstroke, you know, he, he tracks down his daughter, Ravenger. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're trying to escape. And uh, in between their escape, unfortunately, we get a shitty fucking man bat. And yes, the man bat is also infected. And goddamn, dude, it's so fuck. These scenes are so amazing. It's oh, it's everything about this is so fucking incredible. Uh, it just like I said, it's exact. It's there's no difference than this. Is might as well be issue fucking uh, five or what do they do four issues? Whatever it is, it's just the, the next issue. It's beautiful. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we get that, but it's, it's, it's actually, uh, um, Mirror Master plays a huge fucking part, a uh, huge fucking part in all of this. Mirror Master thro- bestows upon them these anti-life goggles, so now, you know, they kind of got this, this, um, you know, ability to creep a little easier now, and he uses his ways to take them to the Vandal Savage, and the Vandal Savage is this, you know, ancient being, almost, well, ancient in some, on some level, uh, at least say 800 years old or some shit like that, and he's pretty much leading this island of, uh, rogue survivors that he's called the Tree Lobsters, and he gives this hilarious fucking, uh, metaphor of, you know, what a tree lobster is, I don't know, it's, it's, it's Tom Taylor, the, the, the dude's genius, he just knows shit, I, I love a learned writer, I love it. So, um, yeah, uh, it's, it's, you know, Vandal Savage telling Deathstroke and Ravenger, look, or mainly Deathstroke, uh, you all have, a, you know, your own place here, everybody here, you, and you see, it's, it's a fucking rogues gallery, that's for sure, Bane's all up in there, um, yeah, it's, whew, it's good shit, man, it's good shit, I, I, highly recommend it, I, I can't recommend anything Tom Taylor writes enough, but, just when I saw the deceased tease way back, I I was giddy, I was giddy, and it delivered. I gotta say, it might even almost be better somehow, somehow, some way. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's it for the overviews. I know there was a lot to talk about, a lot to digest. Um, you know, I just, I I hope that uh, you were able to 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 get a little learned on that. You know, and get another point of view, if you will. Maybe I don't know. Maybe there's something you didn't understand. I don't know. Maybe you just fucking didn't have time to read it and you just you want to know and you'll get around to it eventually in the meantime you don't have you don't mind having it spoiled that's kind of where i'm at these days with almost everything pop culture so yeah um that's there you go um 
I'm going to take a quick little break here before I get on with the, uh, the other end of this here podcast. So, uh, yeah. What's up, nerds? This is Rich, the host of the Three Fat Nerds podcast. I would like to invite you to check out our podcast. We have two shows every week, and both of our shows are about everything that is pop culture and nerdum. That's right. We talk about movies. We talk about comics. We talk about video games. We talk about role-playing games. We talk about Dungeons and & Dragons, and so much more. You can find us anywhere you get podcasts just by searching Three Fat Nerds. Also, while you're at it, go ahead and like our page on Facebook, Three Fat Nerds Podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 3FatNerdsPod. And of course, you can check out our website, 8122Productions.com. Most importantly, I hope you enjoy the show. With that being said, there's only one thing left to say. That's later, nerds. Back, um, yeah, the three fat nerds, man, gotta check them out. Uh, so it's time for the honorable mentions. These are the books that didn't quite make the overviews. There could be a n- number of reasons. By no means are these books that weren't good. So uh, yeah, um, I'm just gonna get on with it, and eventually, um, you'll 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 figure out what it's about. First on the list, coming from Marvel, is going to be uh, 2020 Machine Man. Uh, first tie into the, the event, and, you know, that was fucking good. It was. Uh, there's two different stories in here. Um, admittedly, I didn't really understand what was going on in the second one. I'm sure it'll make more sense down the road. Uh, this is just a two-parter. Um, and then it's following Machine Man and Jocasta. So, it was good stuff. I dug it. Uh, next up, uh, another Marvel honorable mention uh, revenge of the cosmic ghost rider uh i've been digging the series it's just it was a super thick week and this isn't i guess a priority read for me if you will um i didn't you know i didn't when i put up the the uh, most anticipated poll i didn't hear anybody you know write in revenge of the cosmic ghost rider so um i'll get around to it eventually i'm not gonna be done reading it by any means i'm not dropping it um, Undiscovered Country, number four. Um, I, right now, I, I feel that the, the book is really, uh, it's just a lot of world building. I don't want to say just. It, it's definitely a lot of world building, a lot of character development for sure. Um, it's going to be a slew of characters, I believe, that we're all going to have to get very uh, in tune with and their abilities and their backgrounds and all that. And uh, I feel that this is going to be another one of those books or one of those issues, and I'm fine with that. Um, I'm just going to... Uh, um, I'm going to take my chances and just not because I don't like what I'm reading by no means. That, that is not the case. It's just, uh, once again, I'm going to use the, it was a big week card and, um, just hope that uh, when I go to read issue five, um, I'm not completely lost. And then if I am, you know, I'll go back and read issue four, but that's just, sometimes that happens. Um, from Valiant, we've got Doctor Tomorrow, number one. Uh, this is a four or a five parter, from my understanding. Um, I'm I'm loving Valiant, man. I, I I love Valiant Comics. This is the reintroduction of this character. I don't know this character, admittedly, uh, but um, I w- I will get to know him eventually. That is a promise. Um, American Jesus, number four. I think this is a, or I'm sorry, number three. I think this is a four or a five parter as well. It may even go six. I'm not sure, but I know it's just a mini series. 
Um, I love the first two issues. It's super fucking gnarly. Uh, but once again, um, it's uh, the, the first couple times I already I knew I had a hard time kind of figuring out the overview or trying to overview it. Um, so I just yeah I kind of went with that same mentality on this one. Um, but it's Mark Millar, so take my if you know you didn't hear me talk about the first two or hype it up. It's it's good. It, it's it's fucking brilliant. Morning, that's the best word for it. Heist or How to Steal a Planet, number four. Uh, this um, this is a series I've been collecting. Um, I, I haven't read it since issue one, but I liked issue one enough to just have faith that you know it's going to be a good six-parter to have in my uh, in my uh, back my backlog, if you will. Uh, another one from Valiant. This is kind of the same situation. It's Visitor, Visitor number three. This is a four-parter that I'll get around to eventually, but. You know, I fucking... I like some Valiant. Uh, more Valiant. Shit. Uh, Bloodshot number zero. This is just kind of a what-you-need-to-know-about-Bloodshot situation. I kind of like that. Um, I'll, I'll get around to reading it. It's uh, still Tim Seeley writing it. Uh, Andrew Dollhouse is on it. That's cool. Um, but yeah, no, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll get to it. You know, I'm, I've been collecting the shit out of Blood, Bloodhound. Uh, Bloodshot. Um, I'm a little behind, but I, from what I've read, it's just pure fucking action and, I mean, what Bloodshot really should be. <laughs> uh, from Image, we've got Spawn. Spawn 305, this is continuing on with Hell Hunt. This is part four. I, uh, I fuck a Matina cover, goddamn. Um, uh, shit, I think, fuck, I've... I guess I kind of forgot that I was caught up on Spawn. guess I can't say that now. I'll have to go back and read it soon. Um, once again, kudos to McFarlane for keeping that $3 price tag, man. I was having this conversation at Mile High Comics today about how awesome it is that Spawn's still only $3. You never fucking see that anymore. Um, another Marvel honorable mention. Keep in mind, there's obviously no rhyme or reason to these, uh, honorable mention orders. <laughs> uh, New Mutants number seven. Um, I haven't read it since issue one, and honestly, I think it's just time for me to, you know, I'm gonna go to ten. That's what it is. I'm gonna go to ten, and I'm gonna drop it. Just to say I have the first ten of this run. Um, I'll, maybe I'll get to it eventually, but right now it's kind of a low priority. I just, I, for a while, I wanted to have all of the Dawn of X books, but now that Wolverine's come out, and we've got, um, Fantastic Four and X-Men, even though that's just a mini-series, there's plenty of X stuff to read, so... Um, an extra $4 every week. I guess it'd only be about $3.20 every week with my discount, but still, eh, I don't know. Um, Fantastic Four, number 19. Um, this is the conclusion to the point of origin. I said that I'll pick this, pick up this story again, um, once this arc ends, so, and I stand by that. I just, I don't know, I, I'm kind of, I don't want an origin story of a, you know, fucking family that I kind of already know about, even though it's the other part of the origin story. And uh, no, I don't mean any, any ill will towards it in any way, it's just, yeah. Um, I could skip stuff sometimes, too. I still buy it, so what, it, what does it matter? <laughs> um, Captain Marvel, number 15. Um, I just want to uh, I want to keep this uh, last Avenger arc going. I want to see what this Dark Avenger thing amounts to, and uh, yeah. And how about that Mark Brooks cover? And, uh, shit, oh, okay, Conan the Barbarian. 
the Jason Aaron's off Conan now, so I don't feel as inclined to read it, but I also really like Jim Zub, so I will get around to reading this soon. I don't plan on dropping Conan. It's just on big, thick weeks, Conan, unfortunately, isn't really a priority for me, despite the fact that I, I've yet to read an issue of Conan that I haven't enjoyed. Um, uh, Black Label. Black Label time. We've got Lucifer. Lucifer number 17. Um, I really just buy it to have it now. <laughs> I read the first few issues and loved it and just continued to to um, collect it, despite it. I just couldn't figure out how to talk about it properly on the podcast, um, so or in an overview fashion. So, uh, pardon me, I'm losing my voice here. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, no, I'm... Uh, uh, yeah, I'm still collecting it. One, one day, one rainy day. One rainy day. I'll, I'll, I'll get to reading some Lucifer again. Um, Joker, Killer Smile, book three. Uh, I don't know if this is... The, I, I can't remember if this is a three-parter or a seven-parter. I don't remember. But it's Jeff Lemire. It's Andre Sorrentino. It's Jordi Belair. It's, it's, it's going to be good. Um, I read the first one. It's going to sit on my shelf. All my Black Label prestige books are on a bookcase, not in a not in a box, so easy access to be able to pick up and read anytime, so yeah, um, and another one of them, their books, Wonder Woman, Dead Earth, Daniel Warren Johnson, I, I, I love Daniel Warren Johnson so much, and I am actually, uh, I, I, I loved the first issue of Dead Earth so much, and I'm not a Wonder Woman fan, and, um, uh, actually, I think that's kind of, slightly turning just a little bit just because of how Daniel Warren Johnson wrote her. <laughs> I even had a little bit of sympathy for her in Justice League. So, uh, yeah. Um, uh, I kind of want to just binge the last two, I think. We'll see. But, um, great stuff. Big, thick stack of, you know, stuff that, you know, I just wish I got around to. Uh, it's such a big fucking week, though. So, it is what it is. I can't be doing these two and two two and a half hour podcast <laughs> um yeah that does it for honorable mentions great stuff i recommend it all um carrying on this is the pretty stuff this is the wall books these are the books i picked up specifically just for the covers and um there's a very common theme to the wall books again this week <laughs> one artist uh, my favorite artist, my favorite cover artist, and that's Francesco Mattina. He had two come out. Um, I was lucky enough to snag the variant of Batman 89 as well. Uh, Mattina's cover is fucking awesome. I love it. It's Deathstroke versus Batman. A uh, whole lot of sword in the foreground. Um, I, I, man, it's fucking good. <laughs> it's so good. And then, uh, and then you had Unkillables. Unkillables number one had the Matina variant, and you've got uh, Red Hood on there. And goddamn, uh, fuck, it's so goddamn good. So these are two books that, um, uh, yeah, I I went out of my way to make sure that yes, obviously you know, I got cover A's for them as well. I am not. I don't read my cover B's. <laughs> if I want to, yeah, no, that's that's. Uh. Um, Oh, so pretty. I can't wait to hang them up. <laughs> so that does it. That does it for the wall books. Um, uh, you know, I want to talk top picks. I don't want to say top picks. I hate putting it like that. I always put it like that at first and have to correct myself. 
Um, really, these are just the books that I, I recommend most throughout three different categories. And, you know, I'm, when it comes to comic books, I think they should be judged on three different levels. One being shelf appeal, and that, you know, resorts to the, the cover. Um, covers sell books, plain and simple. Uh, there's no arguing that. Um, the interiors, uh, you know, fucking, that's the, you know, if without the, uh, the art, these are just, um, very short novels, <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, so the art is definitely 50%, sometimes more, uh, to the storytelling, so it needs to be acknowledged for sure, and thirdly, obviously, being the story and, um, the, the overall outline of everything all together from beginning to end in itself, um, so, uh, shouting out the shelf appeal. That's, that's obviously going to have to go to one of the wall books. Originally, I wrote down Batman 89, but as I take a closer look at this uh, Unkillables cover, um, I don't think I've ever seen Red Hood look so good. So, that, yeah, boom. Uh, fuck, that's a good goddamn cover. Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah, uh, shelf appeal, baby. And the beautiful thing about this book is if it does get you to pick it up and you just get it for the cover, or you, you didn't know what Deceased Unkillables was, and you say, like, hey, that's a cool cover, I'm gonna pick this up and read it. Yeah, you also were in for a treat with a story as well. Um, Interiors of the Week, the Artist of the Week, actually belongs to a book that I did not read. And, but uh, naturally I'm going to flip through it because he's one of my favorite working artists in comics and that's Daniel Warren Johnson's Wonder Woman Dead Earth it's still absolutely stunning to look at it's so unique, his style and um, Mike Spicer's colors always complement him so perfectly it's, uh, man and that's that's how you tell a story visually, that's for sure that's how you get the eye intrigued um, my overall pick of the week the, the book that I recommend most, as far as just the most enjoyable story, is actually Deceased Unkillables. Uh, Tom Taylor, man. That's... <coughs> Excuse me. Tom Taylor's a monster. There's, that's all there is to it. He's, he's untouchable. There's nobody better in, than him in the business right now. It's undeniable. So, um, yeah, there you have it. Please, go pick up these books, man. Pick them up. Buy them. Don't fucking pirate them. You can't pirate a wall book. It ain't the same. It ain't the same. So, um, that does it. That wraps up this podcast. Uh, you slurds, man, you've been awesome tuning in as long as you have. I hope, I hope you've got something out of this. Um, uh, I would imagine that there's something that you didn't know that if you listen to it, you're like, hey, I didn't fucking know that. <laughs> um, maybe, I don't know. If anything, more than anything, uh, I just hope I've convinced you to try something new. Uh, maybe there's something that you didn't, you're not reading, and I talked about it, and you say, hey, I'm going to give it a shot. That's really the main purpose of this. So that way you can go into the next issue knowing what the fuck happens. So, um, yeah, uh, you, I gotta, I gotta, you know, do the pluggy thing, pluggy plug. Uh, support this podcast. Um, if you enjoy this podcast, support what you love. And uh, do so by joining the Slurred Army, man. Uh, become a patron. Patreon.com slash Cheers to Comics. For as little as a dollar, I throw you some stickers. I mail you some stickers. Make sure you put in your address because there's other stuff that could potentially be mailed to you as well. I'm a very generous giving feller. Um, 
So, uh, and it, it really does help this podcast uh, on a tremendous level. The other way I uh, to support this podcast, and I urge you to do this no matter what, <clears throat> leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Um, if you're not listening on Apple Podcasts, uh, you know, leave a review wherever you possibly can. I know Spotify doesn't really leave the, uh, uh, the give a, a way to leave comments or anything like that, but um, if at all possible, just head over to Apple Podcasts. Five stars, man. It's huge. It's fucking huge for this show. It really is, so I can't stress it enough. Um, and yeah, with that, you know, I'd like to thank all the sponsors as always, everyone from NSCLiveTV.com, the 143 Podcast Network, uh, Next Wave, everybody, fucking, yeah, this, our podcasting's awesome right now, uh, you slurds, (sighs) support your local comic book stores, read responsibly, cheers fuckers.